Hey, everybody, you don't want your kids to feel like they're getting a free ride, right? Coming up on today's show, helping your kids or grandkids learn the value of hard work. Up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney spoke harshly against President Obama's handling of foreign affairs today at a campaign rally at the Virginia Military Institute. Focusing mainly on recent events in the Middle East, Romney said that the U.S. under President Obama has not taken a major role in shaping how events that could threaten U.S. interests play out. Romney cautioned that too often U.S. allies have been waiting for too long to see how the U.S. would react to issues on the world stage. He also warned that hope is not a strategy. The president's campaign team reacted to the speech by saying that Romney has still not laid out any clear plans of how a Romney presidency would benefit the U.S. more than President Obama's policies have. Turkey's president is warning the rest of the world that the worst-case scenario is unfolding in Syria as the Turks continued shelling Syrian regime targets for the sixth day after a Syrian shell flew over the border. Officials in Turkey have sworn to do whatever is necessary to protect their people from the expanding Syrian civil war. The Turkish president is urging Western powers to take more action to end the conflict soon, as he says a transition will take place sooner or later, removing Bashir Assad from power. He also said if action is not taken soon, Syria will just become a bigger wreck with further bloodshed. Turkey has added military forces to their common border with Syria to further protect against spillover fire. A new report from officials in the House of Representatives warns that U.S. telecommunication companies should not be doing business with Chinese tech vendors. The warning came as part of an investigation seeking to understand if the Chinese government could have influence over some of the vendors providing products to U.S. markets. The unclassified version of the report showed no hard evidence that any form of cyber espionage was being conducted and from Chinese critics' perspectives, is based mainly on rumors and assumptions. U.S. officials, however, feel that protecting U.S. cybersecurity is more important than an open trade relationship with China. Eurozone officials launched a new funding effort today aimed at helping to reestablish equilibrium to the 17-nation common currency zone. 500 billion euros have been set aside to help struggling countries keep banks stocked and stimulate economies. Spain is one of the countries expected to need a significant amount of the fund to recapitalize struggling banks. Increasing debt and austerity measures have been sources of tension in many struggling Eurozone countries. The hope is that this new assistance fund will ease some of that tension and urge financial recovery. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can on this program every weekday to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives, healthier families. And today we're going to teach you how to make even more money out of those little children. How to get more how to get more money, more money, more write-offs through the little ones. 
No, just kidding. Ah, uh, that just sounds horrible. We're going to teach you how to get your children to make bring home even more money to the family tax free. We're going to not. We're going to be talking instead about how to get your kids to understand the value of work. We're going to talk a lot about I think um uh what do they call it? It's a really cool work word. Ethic. Work ethic uh allowance because I never ever had an allowance. I, my mom just worked me without pay and we didn't see a need for allowance. Why would you need an allowance when you could just work them for free? Well, you're getting a free house out of the deal. Actually, food. we didn't have a house, Rob. Oh, sorry. Sorry to bring that up. That was rude. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have anything. Uh, no, we had plenty, but my mom never, you know, I didn't have an allowance that I remember. It was just, that's just me paying dues. You know, you could die. Not that she ever risked or threatened that, but it was just, you know, it's just what you do. You just live. And so the other day um, I gave my son, one of my children had an eye touch, okay, and it didn't work anymore. And apparently if you don't plug it in regularly, it just runs out of battery. So I took it to my office and some people at my office who are in the know realized that if you just charge this thing back up and restore it, it would work again. So we did. And I took it back to him, and he's like, oh, that's cool. I'll take that back. This is my oldest kid. And I'm like, well, don't you have, like, a Kindle, Fire, and all these things? You don't need this. Why don't we give it to one of the little ones, we call them in our house, just the little kids? And because then that way they won't need my iPad. So I'm just trying to prevent them from stealing my iPad. So we did that, and I gave it to him Friday. And it has been a crazy mistake since then because now my 8-year-old has got this eye touch. And he won't let the six-year-old – well, actually, my almost nine-year-old won't let the almost seven-year-old use it. And it's starting fights. And now the 17-year-old's like, Dad, see, this is why these kids shouldn't have good things like this, which made me a little mental note because remember that this Christmas when he wants something nice. Um, (laughs) And so it started a big fight. And now all of a sudden – you know, my son wants a – that was an eye touch too, I think. Well, they're fighting over the problem's going to take care of itself. How? How long do you think that eye touch is going to last with them fighting over it? Well, that's I bet it's, true. I bet it's broken by the end of the day. Well, I, they're pretty good. When it comes – like, yeah, they're good. They, that, beat well, up your brother. Well, don't well, beat up the eye It's more likely touch. that the brother <laughs> yeah. will be gone by tonight <laughs> than it is that the eye touch. But they – now they want nicer ones. Like, can't we just get nicer stuff? I mean, why don't you just get us – uh, an iPhone. <laughs> like this is my the eight-year-old, oh, and I'm my, my almost nine-year-old. I'm like, I'm looking. I'm like, what, dude? My fourteen-year-old younger brother doesn't even have a phone. I know. So we're just like, you don't need it. So I'm not going to get him a phone. And I, in fact, I'm just barely shouldn't. I mean, I guess I shouldn't have given him a used iTouch. I think yet. I was 23 when I got my first phone. Well, didn't you well... just get it? You just got one. <laughs> your, your first real phone, that is. So it's kind of sparked this idea of how do I teach these kids that they have to earn stuff. You know, they have to work it. Now, I have kids that actually work a lot, you know, so they make good money when they're older. But when they're younger, they're just users. <laughs> because anyway, you may not know that, but young kids just use, 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 use. Give me this. Give me that. Give me a home. <laughs> anyway. So if you make them work for it, they appreciate it We're going to make more. them work for it. They're going <laughs> to earn it. And so that's going to be the topic of today's discussion. 
do we, you know, do we just give our kids money? Do we give them, uh, do we make them earn it? Do we make them do house chores? How do we get them to learn the value of working? We've got an expert coming on to share some really cool ideas through that. But before we do, let's go to the human stories. Now, again, part of our show is we just want to show you that being human is, you know, just part of the game. And uh, on this part of the show, we like to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and go through some of the latest news articles with our crack team. I don't know why we call it the crack. What do we call it? We had a name for us. Misfits. Misfits. With our misfits, but they're not. They're very smart, intelligent people. Uh, They're just slow at times, uh, but they're incredible. So we're going to go through the news. Who's got a good article for today? I think I do. Okay, Madison. So it's just straight off from the headline. Yes. Um, Plot thickens as Quebec police seize cash of maple syrup. Okay. So apparently, maple syrup is that yeah. something we have to seize? Uh, yeah. Well, apparently it was that, stolen. That, that headline one more time. I don't think I got it the first time. <laughs> Go slower. It's what Quebec I get for being a misfit. Maple syrup. So plot thickens mm, thick. as Quebec police seize cash of maple syrup. Ho oh, oh. mm. ho! So clever. I think the only bad, like negative connotation word in there is maybe seize. I think thickens. Or, or cops, but thickens, thickens maple syrup. syrup mm, it's a play on words. <laughs> so what's the story? Apparently they um, removed about 1,000 barrels or 600,000 pounds of maple syrup. Bootleg. Yeah, apparently. It's a bootleg um, syrup. Someone, bootleg maple syrup. Don't ask questions. No, not bootlegged. They think that um, it was stolen by <laughs> a syrup cartel. <gasps> You've heard of drug cartels. Oh. Now syrup cartels. So the drug cartels are from the south, and the syrup cartels are from the north. north. <laughs> Scary. The They're s- coming in to get our syrup. The guys in New Hampshire and Vermont. Easy to are. spot on the border, though, because you just look for the people with the sticky fingers. Yeah, they're like, hey, who, why is that sticking to you, young man? Uh, yeah, like Interesting. The Canada's crack is their syrup. So Yeah, well, syrup well, is and yummy. Indeed, it should be. <laughs> yes. It is. Okay, so they, they got a bunch of barrels of yeah. syrup, and they're confiscating it. Uh, yeah, so apparently, um, what is it? They located like 10 million pounds of maple syrup. That's worth more than like $30 million. Wow. So, I mean, expensive stuff. But yeah, it's, so there was a robbery and, <laughs> um, but it's, they're not sure how much it was taken, but that's. Okay, this sounds like a cartoon. Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy. But apparently, um, a representative of this federation, which the person says is a cartel, yeah. is they have a strategic reserve stockpile of syrup. Just in case, You're you know. You're kidding me. Uh, no. Wow. Okay. A, a Canadian National Maple Syrup Strategic Reserve. Alert. Yes. Alert. Alert. <laughs> okay. Well, that's. So, so in the, a time of war, no pancake can go exactly. being left dry. But they've taken it so serious that they've made some industry players take lie detector tests. Did you steal the syrup? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Isn't that weird? I mean, syrup. But I guess, you know what, $30 million of syrup. Well, it says that Quebec produces about 75% of the world's maple syrup. So I guess it's They've got a corner on the syrup market. Yeah, it's kind of intense. Isn't that funny? So we protect our most. I guess we have to. That's money. That's money in Quebec. (laughs) To me, it's just a breakfast, you know, (laughs) additive. Okay. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Good. Well, that's good to know. So any of you out there, if you see trucks, you know, with drippy syrup coming out the bumper, you know, there's a problem. Bryce has got one. BT. All right. So this is, if you're talking the good, bad, ugly. Yeah. This this, is a bad, ugly? This is a bad, ugly. Does it involve syrup and the cartel? You know, it doesn't. Okay. So here's the story. 
girl is celebrating her 18th birthday, and I'm not going to get into the, you know, she's 18 and she's out drinking for her birthday. I don't know where she's from. But yeah. She's, like really? Yeah, I, I think know. it was England. Lancaster? Where's that? I don't know. There's a Lancaster, California. That's where they make Lay's chips and stuff. I don't know. That's not <laughs> important, okay? She, uh... She was taking this schnazzy new drink oh, yeah. that they would put liquid nitrogen into, okay? Oh, yeah. And it would keep it nice and cold, and yeah. it would, you know... Uh, bubble. Bubble, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. It looks nice pretty, effect. you know, like okay, the cool. Witch's brew. Anything that's smoking, don't drink it. I think yeah, that's the rule. I think that's a great rule. Okay, if it's smoking, don't take mm-hmm. it into your body. Or bubbles, like major bubbles. Major bubbles, yeah. Major smoke bubbles, let's just say that. That, okay? So here's what happens. She takes the drink, and she's all, okay, cool, I'm celebrating. Then her stomach starts to hurt. She has trouble breathing, and she gets taken to the hospital, and she has her stomach removed because it was, well, she got a perforated stomach because it froze her stomach and killed the cells in her stomach, and then she just turned into a hole in her stomach. Oh, boy. What kind of a place serves that as a drink? Well, here's the thing. Those things, that kind of stuff is normal, but everyone with half of a brain realizes, wait till the liquid nitrogen is gone before I put this in my body. Well, didn't didn't she have to swallow the... The ice, well, liquid, but yeah, oh, liquid. Oh, they put liquid in liquid that's nitrogen. Right. That's in. Messed up. It's really hard to get solid nitrogen. Yeah, really hard. You know, that's sad for her. That is sad for her. But you know what's even worse? <laughs> it's in the news. Commentary from Mr. Matt. Tess. That's just sad. Like what? You just go have a party? I mean, that. Oh, that's just sad. how many kids just had a little root beer with a little block of. Liquid yeah, but they didn't. They didn't, take, they didn't take a chunk off of the. What was it? Uh, dry, dry ice. ice yeah. yeah, but I mean, that's I don't just, think dry ice would be as bad. No, I think it's not as cold form. as liquid nitrogen. But still, oh, it's just bad. Moral of the story: Just don't serve liquid nitrogen in your drink. Yeah, right. It's a good yeah. start. And I think you had a really good point. Don't drink smoke. <laughs> Anything that smokes, don't put it in your body. I mean, duh. That sounds like a no-brainer. Also, I wouldn't eat anything that's on fire. Generally, I don't do that either because I just think you're you're you know you're cruising for a bruising. Yes, <laughs> I don't want to dig deep into the whole politics thing because I know people are supporting candidates on both yeah. sides and third parties, what have you. But I'm going to dig into it. Anyway. Here we go. <laughs> At Sesame Street on Twitter has decided to get into the ring after Mitt oh. Romney's comment in well, the debate. The death he wants to. He says, "I love Big Bird, but I want to fire Big Bird." Oh yeah. Well, he is rather expensive. (laughs) This is from uh, at Sesame Street on Twitter. It's an old tweet from last week. Big Bird, my bedtime is usually 7.45, but I was really tired yesterday and I fell asleep at 7. Did I miss anything? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody else went out. So that's the official at Sesame Street on Twitter. But somebody else made a – I won't tell you what it is because it it gets pretty raunchy. But another Big Bird account – and uh, that's picked up about 10,000 followers. Oh, then. no. Was so, he drinking liquid well, nitrogen Well, and, and the uh, background on that is uh, – you remember the Obama Hope poster that yeah. was kind of the weird colors and it said Hope mm-hmm. on the bottom? They've done that but with Big Bird's face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Big Bird. Great art right there. Seriously. <laughs> you know – I mean I love Big Bird. But seriously, he'd make a good meal. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what kind of bird he Those is. Those drumsticks. Mm. <laughs> Those big oh. orange <laughs> drumsticks with the rings around them. <laughs> Yummy. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> oh, that just made me sick. Okay, we'll wrap it up with this one. Anybody hear about the great wedding uh, that happened in Philadelphia this week? 
No. Over the weekend, it was an incredible thing, a memorable, memorable wedding night for one Philadelphia couple, but probably not the way they would have wanted. Apparently, it turned into a brawl. Oh, that's the one that got posted on YouTube. Yes. In oh, fact, you've got to go to YouTube boy. just to watch the video oh, of, of a wedding brawl. And you don't see the actual like bride and groom like duking it out with anybody. Well, but good. you do see hundreds of people into, in a fight at a Sheraton hotel. Um, and actually, sadly, one man died of a heart attack. Uh-oh. The, the, the uncle of the bride suffered sad. a heart attack. And 57-year-old man. So that's sad. Um, but in the video, you'll hear someone yelling, dude, did that bride just get da- – or did, no, what did they say? Did they just deck the bride? Did they just deck the bride? <laughs> so apparently the bride got involved. They had to pull the bride out. It started as a bar fight. And it wasn't even the fight wasn't even just between people all at the same bridal event. It was like three weddings getting together for a major fight and Whoa. duking it out with each other. Isn't that cool? I mean, did they just not like the food or like <laughs> No, they, like, they actually stinks. don't know, but it's like, hey, I think the bride looks a little big. That's the bride's my daughter. And then game on. No, no one knows what they said. <laughs> but the fight started, cops came, about seven police showed up. Oh my gosh. And they guess you will not believe what caused the fight. So, Big Bird selling free <laughs> shots. At the, no, uh, alcohol. Oh, really? Because mm-hmm. I see that as a theme in today's dumb things people do. Yeah, alcohol. <laughs> Which, I mean, only, you know, it just, you know, it, it, you get gut rot if you put <laughs> nitrogen down your gut. And apparently you get wedding reception rot if you have a fight with all of the friends and neighbors. So, hey, a little note to all of y'alls. Let's just not involve too much alcohol, if any at all, unless you want to have a major fight or gut rot. At your wedding, man, you would never forget that. In fact, you know what the answer is? No alcohol, just maple syrup, because <laughs> it does a body good. Exactly. Take it back from those that cartel. <laughs> that cartel. <laughs> we need to legitimize more maple syrup. Did you have something to say? You had, Bryce, it's in your face. I can't even say it. Okay, he's self-censoring, <laughs> which is a good thing on this show. We, uh, we're going to come back. When we come back, we're going to get into our main topic today. Should children get an allowance? And if so, how do they earn the allowance? We're talking about this topic and many others on the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Near-Earth asteroids are dangerous to our planet and orbital infrastructure, threatening to destroy satellites, or worse, us. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. In 1994, the Shoemaker-Levy 9 comet collided with Jupiter. Its impact sparked the emission of large plumes of fire, each several kilometers high, and the formation of hot bubbles of gas in the atmosphere. Could such an event happen to Earth? All signs point to yes. Shoemaker-Levy 9 and the threat of near-Earth objects such as asteroids reminds us that protecting our planet is just as important as exploration. NASA's revolutionary Aerospace Systems Concepts Academic Linkages, or RASCAL for short, looks for ingenuity and innovation from the next generation of problem solvers by challenging them to share their innovative design concepts for human missions to near-Earth objects, like an asteroid. Through the annual Rascal Forum, university students present their designs to their peers and a panel of judges comprised of NASA and industry experts. 
Realizing these missions will stretch the bounds of innovation, human health, and engineering, NASA sees direct connection to tapping the bright minds of undergraduate and graduate students. After all, protecting the planet from an asteroid collision could be one of the greatest feats of their generation. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. There's an answer to every question, a solution to every problem. Join a group of leading scholars and experts in the conversation about practical and constructive solutions to today's societal issues. BYU's Wheatley Forum shares motivating and inspiring ideas on the present and future of our world today. Join us on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about allowance and money and children, all that good stuff. And apparently, according to a new study uh, out of Salt Lake City, uh, our kids are not learning to save. The survey found that 89% of parents say kids have to work at least one hour a week for their allowance. The average allowance ends up bringing about $65 in a month, but only 1% of parents say their kids save their money. So only 1% of children are saving their monthly allowance. That's according to Vice President Rob Bruff uh, of Zions Bank. And, uh, you know, so they're, they're getting paid a nice little salary, <laughs> alimony as a child, um, you know, up to $65 a month, and 90% of that pay goes to things for their for kids like their cell phone bills, their music downloads, their hobby expenses. But Bruff says it doesn't do your children any favors to pay for everything for them. So today on the show, we are going to be talking about child allowances. Should they have them or should they not? Parents across the Western world obviously have been trying a method that's considered tried and true to help their children learn how to handle their money. Childhood Allowances pocket money, you know, a chance to teach your kids money management. Limit childhood discretionary expenses in theory and hopefully give you a little bit of peace and quiet. Parents try the whole allowance thing and get mixed success. Now, of course, it's not as potent as the old days. You know, when kids had to work for the spending money in the textile factory, losing digits and limbs and giving them valuable vocational training for their life in the coal mines. Then Charles Dickens showed up and wrote that book and ruined it for everybody. Well, that and growing affluence in the Western world where parents suddenly didn't need their teenagers' income to feed the family anymore. No, today kids just get money. It's the American way. Now, of course, the amount varies. Might be like 50 cents for every year old they are, so an eight-year-old might get about $4 a week or so to spend as they like. By the way, did you know Wikipedia claims women in Japan budget their husbands a monthly spending allowance? It inflated to a gigantic bubble that grew to about the equivalent of $900 a month before it burst in 1990. But I digress. For your kids, the big fight is, should the income be connected to doing chores? One school of thought is, absolutely. They have to work for their money. There's no such thing as a free ride. Go clean your room. Another school of thought arguing... Hey, you're already giving the kids free food and a nice bedroom to live in. Maintaining it, that's just automatic. That comes along with the gift. 
Now, of course, no matter how well-tuned you finally get your allowance structure, it all falls apart as they start to reach mid-teenage. Your 16-year-old comes to you saying that $8 a week only buys him two gallons of gas, and he wants a raise so he'll have enough money to go buy pizza with his friends again every night. And the timing for him couldn't have been worse because you were just about to come to him and break the news that now that he's taller than you are, it's time that you're going to have to let him go from Allowance Incorporated. He can go get his own dang job. Buy his own darn pizza. Brother, can you spare a dime? Of course, this news incites a riot worse than anything the country of Greece has seen thus far. And that's something because it's just one protester. And it's all happening inside your living room. Of course, in the end, you might have won the battle, but your child's going to win the war. They'll bring home an acceptance letter to college. Not a cheap college. And you'll see your wages garnished and your house refinanced to pay tuition, which really is nothing more than the biggest allowance laundering scam you've ever seen. Here's how it works. Tuition money magically gets turned into a dining plan which goes on a little card that your kid carries around and gives your 18-year-old access to an allowance of hundreds of dollars to buy pizza with his friends every night. See how far you've come? Wow, that's depressing. Because I have a child that's going to be... I'll have two kids in college, part of the scam. It's all part of the scam. I mean, given you do get a four-year degree out of the deal, so it's not really money laundering. Yeah, what good is that doing nowadays? But it's true. Some of those uh, dining plans, I was never – my parents were – Yeah. Very modest. And so I I still – but I still got spoiled where I could get an all-you-can-eat meal uh, five days a week, uh, one one meal a day. Top ramen. Some of these other people have where they're – end of the semester, I remember – uh, having a buddy, he goes, oh, man, you got to help me eat. I've got like $300 of dining dollars I haven't spent yet. So you're, you're having pizza every <laughs> night and having a great time. Seriously, that's how I would describe. Oh, that's horrible. Um, my freshman year of college, it uh, we all the, where we lived, everyone had to have that dining plan. And you could have a maximum of $75 on it, which you were given, what, like $10 a day? $10 a day, yeah, to... For all of your food. So that was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if you went at breakfast and lunch and dinner to the sort of centralized cafeteria thing. But the dining card takes all the guilt out of it. It really does. If, if every day your mom mailed you $10 and you're like, oh, man, oh, mom, mom, I know you, you can't afford that. Yeah. It's magical funny it's money. Magical funny. Like, yeah, it's on a dining <laughs> card. You're like, hey, free well, money, even yeah. though you forget. But then you but, can't just hold it over for the next month and it just won't keep accruing. It, it's school to school. It, it varies. Yeah. But, um, but, no wonder but here, we're gaining weight. Well, that you, Fre- well, that's where they that concept of the freshman fifteen, where people put on fifteen pounds. Oh, it's like imagine, yeah. you gave your kid an allowance of ten dollars a day, and he oh. went and spent it all on pizza. Yeah, his you might have iTunes. a <laughs> right. junior year of high school fifteen. You know? Holy cow! This is like this reminds me a lot of the. Um, the cartel of maple syrup. The maple people. syrup cartel. It's something you didn't even know existed, but you enjoy it every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird. Okay, so have did any of you have, you know, did you guys get a little uh, dough from the parents when you were a kid? Here comes the, the jewel thief, Madison. <laughs> None at all. None at all. Nope. Not a one. Nope. Not a penny. I got like tooth fairy money, and that was it. No birthday money. Hold on, you had a tooth fairy? Oh yeah. Oh my. She word. was she was good. She gave us dollar bills. We had to give our teeth back <laughs> <laughs> so they could be recycled. <laughs> are you serious? Okay, so yeah. you, how much? Okay, by the way, what do you know? What the going rate of a tooth fairy is today? I do not. Do you want to know? Yeah. 
Uh, at our house, our tooth fairy, I think, when our tooth fairy remembers, <laughs> uh, our tooth fairy is five bucks a tooth. Holy what? cow. Yeah. Oh, and my gosh. On the wrong what? side of town. Our tooth, no, our <laughs> tooth fairy has guilt. Yeah. Oh. Tooth guilt. Hmm. Uh, that, we, things have really inflated in yeah, 20 years. Like my tooth fairy, not at all. They just only dollar. But, you know, with a dollar, you could buy like an ice cream cone. Or if you lost two teeth at the same time, could get you a little. See, I think that I think the tooth fairy is a scary thing because you're teaching your children that they can get money for body parts. <laughs> so these are the people like later that get blood for money. Actually, oh, isn't there blood. some convention where that's illegal? So, I <laughs> there mean, he is. Bryce is one of those. <laughs> I think the tooth fairy is breaking some kind of international oh, convention. I think so. I think the tooth really fairy is the, above and beyond any international body. <laughs> because, you know, the, you know, people even in the United Nations give teeth to the tooth fairy. Mm. So true. Well, that's scary. So none of you had allowances. Mm-mm. Well, no. that explains a was, lot. Now you did. It Come was on. a lot like working for the uh, – it's like – I say working for the mob. It's working for the family. The syrup. You yeah. do some favors for the family and the family kicks back a little <laughs> help when you need a new pair of shoes. So during that maple <laughs> no, tree saying. there, Robbie. <laughs> Okay, what, I, you've got something, Sky. You look guilty of something. Well, you just asked if none of us had allowance, but I sometimes did. When you like borrowed it from your dad's wallet. Well, yeah, no, but they they would sometimes give us allowance, and they had like my parents. My mom is notorious for like coming up with all these charts, chore charts, and like different rules and yeah. different incentives to get us to get us to work. That's true. We started that in our house. They had a chart, and they're like, "Yeah, if at the end of the month, if you do this amount, you'll get like five bucks." Yeah. Stuff like that, but you know, it never. Yeah, we had never to work worked. for our allowance. Oh my heavens! Your mom sounds like a gem. She sounds beautiful with tons of great charts and motivating because you get a little money eventually to boot. Okay, we're coming back with the expert Elisa Weinstein, who is uh, created the website Earn My Keep, which is an allowance program teaching your children how to work, the value of money. We'll be back with Elisa right after this break on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM One Forty Three BYU Radio. BYU Radio is your home for BYU football coverage. And after each week's game, break down the action with Coach Mendenhall and Greg Rubel. I just simply believe even though our execution outmatched our opponent, I also think our competitive will and resiliency, we were at a different place as a team and a program than our opponent. And I think that ultimately overwhelmed or was one of the main reasons that we had a chance to, to play better from beginning to end. Don't miss BYU football with head coach Bronco Mendenhall. Live this Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time here on the home of Cougar Sports. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Friends, family members, and law enforcement colleagues gathered together today to remember the U.S. Border Patrol agent who was killed last week while responding to a tripped motion sensor in Arizona. Nicholas Ivey was 30 years old at the time of his death, which FBI officials now say there is a strong indication was due to friendly fire between the agents responding to the motion sensor. Regardless of the circumstances, Ivy was the fourth Border Patrol agent in two years to die under violent circumstances in Arizona. Before working with the Border Patrol, Ivy served a two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Mexico City. 
California gas prices continued to climb today despite efforts last week that helped bring wholesale prices down. Prices rose to another record high today of an average $4.67 a gallon, over 50 cents higher than just a week ago and 86 cents higher than a year ago. The abrupt jump in prices has been blamed on a significant hiccup in the supply as multiple California refineries are not currently operating. This, coupled with a yearly switch to winter blends, has officials scrambling to find a way to bring the price back down. Winter blends are going on sale early to expand available supplies, and U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein is calling for an investigation to be carried out by the Federal Trade Commission. Health officials have enlisted the help of local police in many states where a deadly meningitis outbreak has now taken the lives of eight people. Over the weekend, reported cases of the disease increased to 105 in nine states. Patients who received a specific steroid injection are at risk of contracting the rare fungal sickness, and sheriff's offices have been asked to help check on those who are at risk. The outbreak has attention focused on tighter regulations for pharmaceutical manufacturing companies that would help prevent similar issues in the future. Centers for Disease Control officials say up to 13,000 people may have been exposed to the tainted steroid treatment. The New England company that produced the steroid has suspended production pending further investigation. Two scientists, one British and the other Japanese, have won the Nobel Prize for groundbreaking stem cell research. The pair contributed to the discovery that it is possible to take normal, mature cells and reverse them back into stem cells, which could open the door for revolutionary new treatments of all kinds of diseases and ailments. With the discovery comes a potential relief from some of the controversy surrounding stem cell research because previously the only way to obtain the cells was by destroying an embryo. With this new process of reversing mature cells to the primitive state, scientists have an effective new tool available to perform further research and development. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about your children, your grandchildren. How do we help them truly uh, capture the love of work, the value of a dime or a quarter, which my kids won't even bend over to pick a dime up anymore. I'm like, hey, there's a dime. They're like, yep. They got that tooth fairy. They don't need that. They don't, yeah. They don't have a tooth <laughs> It is literally not worth their time. <laughs> Dad, I'm just going to go. Can I, can I pull two more teeth? I really want to go get some more iTunes. <laughs> No, let's keep our teeth, son, but you can go give some blood and platelets if you need to. Oh, that is so sad, what we're teaching our children. So we're bringing on right now Elisa Weinstein, who is really, uh, I think she's going to add a ton to this discussion. And Elisa is the founder of uh, Ear, oh, sorry, Earn My Keep, it said Ear, Earn My Keep Allowance Program. So if you go to earnmykeep.com, there's a great website there all put together by Elisa and her team. She's the author of Earn It, Learn It, Teach Your Children the Value of Money, Work, and Time Well Spent. Uh, Elisa, are you there? I am here, and I'm curious. Can I move into your house so that I can get $5? I'll start well, pulling let's, my teeth out. Let's do it. How, do you have good teeth? I do. They're lovely. Okay, then they're going to be harder to get out. So <laughs> actually, no. Yeah, you'll be fine. Come on in. We can afford awesome. you. Now, Elisa, awesome. you have a couple kidlets of your own. 
I do. Actually, my youngest just turned five yesterday. Oh, my heavens. Yeah, so I'm having the whole, my baby is five. Isn't that the weird? um, No, that's weird. Well, it's weird. He's a whole hand. Yeah. That's all I keep saying. You're a whole hand. You're moving to the next hand. He'll have to start carrying numbers over to the next hand. Now, help us with this, because I think this is an age-old issue, right? How do you teach the value of something that they maybe can't even conceptualize. That's one of the things I love about your site is you help them conceptualize money. Yes. And well, earning it. Yes, and it actually started when my now 8-year-old, my oldest, turned 4. Um you don't real, you know, it's so fun watching your kids learn things that you forget you actually oh, yeah. have to learn. Yeah. yeah, so we were in um Target, which I will disclaim is probably my favorite store. Oh yeah. And Yes, awesome. And she was having a gimme's moment over. I, she doesn't stop telling people I had a gimme's moment. Okay, fine. She was very vocal. Was she rolling her, her eyes? Mom, she don't was, tell. She people. was four. She didn't know how to do that yet. Right. But she um, wanted a sparkly pink lip smackers lip balm. Oh she had to boy. Have yeah. So I told her we would go home and we would count. She would see she had plenty. And we did. She, we went home, and she counted. She had 13 of them. And she, she didn't need four. another one. Oh, interesting, did, Kay. Did not need another one. And so I told her in my typical obnoxious fashion to get a job and pay for it herself. <laughs> and as soon as I said that, well, besides the very funny look on her face, I realized I was going to give her a job and a real one. She decided to do my husband's job, so she became a market researcher. Interesting. And, yes, like a real job. At so, four. At four years old. That's great. So we need them awesome. at all ages. It, well, right. I mean, you can always ask to do a survey. So she asked friends and family their favorite kind of ice cream. And when they were done, they made a little pie chart on the computer. And she printed it out. And she presented it to me, her employer. And the whole thing took, like, what, you know, 20 minutes? Yeah. What was so cool was... When I paid her, she was really excited about the two dollars because we could then go back to Target and she could buy her own lip balm. Wow! But she, what she was excited about was having had done my husband's job. Interesting. I'm a yeah. researcher. I'm an adult. I'm and she's four, and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. So we did it a few more times, and then you know, because I had nothing else going on in my life at the time, I decided to interview 49 professionals with real jobs. Oh my word. What it is they did for a living, I talked to, um, let's see, a toy designer from Crayola and a Grammy Award-winning jazz musician from New Orleans, and my buyer was from TJ Maxx, and they told me what it is they did for a living, and I translated that into, like, a thousand things parents and kids can do together to emulate real jobs. Then you pay your child. and Love it. The, yeah, the book, the program, everything just exploded, and and. You know, you just learn about that connection between work and money. And when you make it, everything falls into place for kids as young as four or five. The little ones, they get it. They love it. Well, and it's not just about it's, – it's, so it, it goes so much deeper than this, that, that this money kind of is a payoff, but it's just more important that you're kind of liking what you're doing and there's a million things you can do to kind of earn money. It's, it really takes this idea so much deeper than just making it about money. It to, it to, I love that you said that because it totally does. And it's actually when, when people ask me what I do, I say, you know, I'm, I'm more, it's not financial literacy, it's life literacy. Right. And when you, you know, we're talking about entitlement and how do you teach a child work ethic and they have to practice it. You know, you don't come out understanding what it means to be committed to a, to a project. You have to practice how good it feels to have that kind of follow through. Mm. And when you're teaching children about money, 
but which I call the part two, you know, the, yeah. the saving, the sharing, the spending is part two of financial literacy. When you start at part one with how they earn money in the first place and they try all these amazing careers, you know, costume yeah. designer, investigator, yeah. zoologist, they learn to love work for the sake of work. And the money is no longer the main motivator. See, which is so, eventually that'll pay off down the line, right? I mean, right now, my mom tried it completely different. At first, she just wanted our garden weeded, right? (laughs) So she'd throw down a rake and she'd say, look, you need to weed this much. No, she didn't start there. First, she said, I just, I'll give you this much allowance for this many weeds. And we're like, sweet. So I just went and pulled the weeds, but I didn't like get the roots. I just piled them in the bucket, showed her that the bucket was full. And then she had to come back and teach me, well, no, you got to get the roots. So then it was like however many roots. And anyway, it was never, I never connected to this job. I didn't want to do it. And I guess there's probably something good in there that, you know, sometimes you just got to do stuff you don't like to do. Yes. But, um, But I like yours because eventually these kids can start seeing that this is this is a real deal and especially like when you get grandma and grandpa involved grandma and grandpa may have had jobs and and you can get them involved and let dad talk or grandpa talk about his job and uncles and aunts when you go to a party they've all got jobs so you can you can really start to make a connection even and make it even more real about this work thing and grandparents love to impart wisdom and and share and that's the fun of having grandchildren and knowing that and knowing that it's really difficult for the two generations you know um, grandparents, the, the age difference between grandparents and grandchildren is growing, and yeah. a lot of us don't live near the, the grandparents anymore. So um, specifically in the book, everything is broken down to these really cute icons. You know, mm-hmm. this helps with art skills and math skills, manners, social responsibility. Um, in every career, there is at least one inter- intergenerational task that a grandparent or aunt and uncle can do oh, with the it. child even when they don't live in the same place. So over the phone, over Skype or fax, I mean, that's great. Yes. It's, I mean, again, it's all about building the camaraderie, the sense of community, what it means to be a tiny p- part of a bigger whole. Hmm. And, and that's also, I mean, that all goes into charitable giving. And, and it's just, again, it's, it's teaching kids how the real world works. It's helping kids grow up to be responsible global citizens who feel great about it, who, who, you know, just want to do it because it feels wonderful. And Hey, I can make a living doing this. Yeah. That is so cool. So. This is, this is, I think, I think it's just, this is the, it seems like the smarter way to teach just an age old issue or trick. It's, yeah, it's, did you know that we've been teaching our kids a lot? I learned this while I was in the middle of writing the book for a hundred years, I guess actually now more, we have been grappling with whether or not you pay for chores and hmm. giving kids money to try with for a hundred years. We've been doing um, allowance this way in our country. Really? And it really, yeah, it was so fascinating. Um, I learned that it really took hold um, um, sort of around the depression is where it became a really big deal right. where obviously parents wanted their kids to understand about money. But right before that time, there was a, kids wanted money, candy for the movies, hmm. you know, they want And so that's where the yeah. whole thing started. And, that was a really fun thing when I, you know, six months into writing the book, I just had this, when did this all start? You know, we all know to do this, but mm-hmm. when? And, and so that was, that was really fun to uncover. Well, and I think you've done it in an interesting way, too, because it seems like, you know, back in the day in the old world, we would have, we would have like followed our parents in their job and done a yeah. little journeyman work and figured out their trade. And it almost seems like nowadays we just kind of send kids to college to figure it out. And, and, and someone, you're doing it a little earlier. 
a lot earlier, and it's um, it's a little bit almost of an apprenticeship kind of thing. Right. You know, my my children have had so many different careers. Like this, you know, last year this time they were set designers, and they decided where everything was going to go with all of our Halloween decorations. <laughs> you know, for having guests come, they become guest relations manager, and they're in charge of making sure you know that the bed is made. There's clean towels. You know. That is so great. Yeah, they'll make like a a spa package and they'll put in like an actual fresh bar of soap. I can't believe we found one of those in our house. And, you know, it's um, they're they're sort of seeing how fun it can be to have a job to test out what it's like to be an adult. And what's really fun is when the kids find something and latch onto it because I cannot peel my daughter from being a pastry chef. See, that That's is all huge. she wants to do. My, my kids want to be um, video game creators and designers. That's a really cool job. Yeah, it is. They, they've mastered it. Um, the problem is they, I haven't framed it as a job. They just call it fun time. <laughs> so we're going to come back, Elisa. Elisa Weinstein is with us, uh, the founder of EarnMyKeep.com. We're going to come back and, and get into her mind a little bit more. What are some do's, some don'ts when it comes to, to allowance programs for your kids? What are some other rules that she'd give us? We'll be back with Elisa right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A new crash protection technology is making an impact on the auto industry. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Seatbelts save lives, but only if you wear them. And while most people in the front seat buckle up, only about 60% of those in the back of a vehicle use them regularly. An innovation that's been in the works for more than a decade could soon change that statistic. Passengers who have tested a new safety belt from Ford say it's more comfortable, with more padding and smoother edges. But making the seatbelt more comfortable isn't the half of it. The new rear safety belts take a cue from another safety innovation, airbags. In the blink of an eye, sensors immediately determine the severity of a crash. If needed, each belt inflates a tubular airbag inside the shoulder strap with cold compressed gas to provide extra padding. Compared to traditional belts, Ford's rear inflatable belts help spread the force of a collision over five times more of the body to enhance head, neck, and chest protection. Ford expects the safety belt innovation to be most beneficial to more vulnerable passengers, like young children and the elderly. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. This'll take a while. Sometimes it's better to take things slow. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Join Dean Duncan weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about allowances. How do you... uh, 
How do you try to teach your kids the importance of earning money instead of just giving them an allowance? And uh, we'll be bringing on our expert again to, to help us with that. That is Elisa Weinstein. But before we do, you know, sometimes we all wonder if it really even pays off to teach our children a good work ethic. It's faster to do it yourself, and you, then you don't have to deal with all the whining. Our producer, Madison Allred, shares the impact her work ethic has had on her life. My parents started teaching their kids the value of work at a pretty young age. My parents believed that teaching kids to work built self-confidence and independence. When kids are about two to three, there is always that stage where they want to help out with things. By giving us little jobs, such as putting away the silverware, cleaning our room, we felt good about ourselves when we did it well. Having your kids do little chores does take longer than doing it yourself, but it helps them out. By the time I was eight, I knew how to do the dishes and I had two days out of the week that I was responsible to do it for the whole family. Also, when I was eight, every week I would have to clean either the kids' bathroom or the parents' bathroom. When I was nine, I had to do my own laundry. Whenever we had company come over, my assignment was to dust the piano and all the furniture. Also, when I was nine, I started to learn how to cook. By the age of 10, I knew how to take care of an entire home. Aside from the fact that teaching your kids a work ethic increases independence and self-confidence, I propose that teaching your kids a work ethic makes them more willing to serve. I draw this conclusion from my own experience. Since I knew how to work, I was more willing to serve the lady who lived across the street. Her house was rather unique. Instead of having a front yard, she had a massive garden. Being a kid, I would wander around the neighborhood and I fell into helping her garden and take care of her bunnies. She had over a hundred of them, and they were very, very cute. Since she knew that I could work, we would go and be volunteer gardeners at the zoo. I was thrilled, and I was able to meet so many people and learn so many things about the animals that I would not have had the opportunity to as a child if I did not have a work ethic. I would say that my parents teaching me to work enhanced my childhood. This did build my self-confidence, and it also prepared me to take on higher responsibility jobs. My first job was when I was nine. I was asked to take care of my neighbor's dogs. She was a Shetland Collie breeder, so this was quite a task. But because I knew how to clean, and let's be real, I got to play with puppies whenever I wanted to, so it was a great job. When I was 10, because I was mature for my age, I was asked to babysit and house it for people in the neighborhood and people from my church. I got my first real job as a lifeguard when I was 15. And because of my work ethic, by the time I was 17, I was an assistant manager at a retail store, had designed a training course for all the new hires, designed clothes for the line, and had traveled the country as a wholesale rep for the line. I was going to wholesale shows with the big names in fashion, such as Nordstrom's, Macy's, and Saks Fifth Avenue. Because of my work ethic as a child, it allowed me to succeed from a very early age. I was able to help my family pay the bills, and have some spending money so I could do things with my friends that I had not been able to do earlier. I even paid my own way on a student exchange program to Germany for a whole month. From my experience, teaching your children a work ethic can only improve their quality of life and yours. Madison Allred. She is pretty extraordinary, just as I sit here no. and look at you. And she also, if you rem- you might remember one of our shows last week where she also uh, was asked out by a guy that was, I don't know, 16 years her senior. <laughs> 17 years 17, her senior. Really? Which is kind of awkward oh, yeah. for everybody involved. <laughs> um, let's go back to our great guest, Elisa Weinstein. Elisa, are you there? 
I am here. Did you hear that uh, little bio there on our producer? I'm, first of all, I'm so floored and impressed. And good. it actually validates the fact that I have Mia with seven. She's been putting away her own laundry and folding. Yeah. It makes me feel better and less like mean mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, what is so amazing is what you said at the end. And all I kept hearing in my head was you can hear if parents and grandparents can hear how self-fulfilled you are. And today parents are very uncomfortable with making their children unhappy. It's really hard to watch your kids upset. And that's part of it is we want to please, we want to please, and we don't realize the detriment that we're doing. You know, and, and sometimes my daughter will get really upset, and I'll look at her, I'm like, you're making me so happy. Because <laughs> so I, know, I know, I know I'm teaching you the right thing. And she's like, that's not nice. I go, I love you. I'm so sorry. But, like, <laughs> I'm not sorry. You, you really need to be doing this. This will totally benefit you as an adult, and you have to trust me. And she's, we have that relationship. We've built that relationship over time. It, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. No, but and and I'm, it does, and it happens, I guess, by making, you know, by pushing back on these kids like your parents did. Madison. It's true; they had me do all that stuff from a very early age, and as a result, I mean, I like some people were freaking out about moving out for college. They're like, I don't know if I can do it, but for me, I'm like, Psh, I know how to do everything. Let's, Let's do get it. Out. Yeah. <laughs> See, it is that it's, she really is very um, self-assured. You and hit it on the head. Well, I mean, really, if you yeah. can have anything that you can give your child other than, you know, this allowance and some great job ideas, really, it's just self-confidence, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's the self-worth. It's the self. It's just understanding how great it feels to be able to take care of yourself and that that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's why the program is Earn My Keep and not Earn Your Keep. Exactly. You know, I you love want that. These, yeah, we want the kids to feel that for themselves. That's an amazingly empowering feeling what else do you think as parents we're just we're kind of we're like i guess your idea there is we're we're focused more on making him happy than making him self-assured um what what else are we doing maybe not so well that you that you've kind of tried to incorporate in earnmykeep.com well there's there's a couple things like the first thing is parents do not prioritize financial or life literacy and I get this a lot. I hear, you know, my kid has baseball six days a week, and we have practice, and we have homework, and then there's birthday parties. And I have all of that, too. You know, I totally get it. I'm living the same life. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when my child's children graduate from high school, I want to be able to look back and know that I took the time to do the stuff that was the most important to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that parents really need to stop and think, Will my child be a professional baseball player? I don't know. Will my child have to deal with money? I'm pretty sure they're going to have to. Definitely. So, yeah, the first thing is sort of really taking a moment and reprioritizing what we're actually focusing on as gifts to our children. Because if you hadn't, um, you if you hadn't done that, that would have been, your daughter would have had like 50 lip balms by now. <laughs> well, no, she never would have had that. I still would have been mean, mom. Okay. But and for the record, I want to say that I did not get her all of those lip balms. They were gifts. It was she right stole after the some of them, didn't she? Alisa. <laughs> no, but it, yeah, it, so, but it's, that's the problem is everyone else keeps giving too, which is kind of nice to get everyone else. I mean, not everyone, but grandma, grandpa, neighbors, friends, if they could get on the same page as you are. You're golden. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I think the other thing, you know, about teaching kids this kind of thing is we think, you know, we're not good at it and therefore we can't teach it to our right. kids. Right. And trust me, I'm working through my own adult 
financial issues. You know, mm-hmm. my husband and I were not, we were not raised with Earn My Keep. So mm-hmm. we, you know, didn't learn from such a young age what to do. And, and so I'm learning with her and every day we're exploring something new and, and understanding that your financial life is going to change based on your partner, your, your job, your, whether or not you're stopping because of a, a life-changing event, whether you're getting divorced or you're having a child or you're becoming a grandparent or you're retiring, helping children understand, learning how to ebb and flow and that you can make a mistake and this is what you do to fix it. Mm. I think parents get stopped because they're so scared to teach their child something wrong that yeah. they don't even make that first step. It's almost, it's almost like everything, like about sex, about money, politics. We don't we don't make it a priority. I guess we kind of think these are all things that life will teach them, but life teaches kind of a hard, in a harder way, don't doesn't it? Yeah, it, it teaches you. I mean, the, I've been to. I have a daughter that's nineteen years old, and I've been to the first day of school where they're handing out credit cards and getting these kids credit cards. And you're thinking, you don't have a clue what that even means. So it's a big deal. And if we don't teach them as parents and grandparents, family members, someone else is going to step right in. It's just going to be a credit bureau. And it's going to be much later. And the thing is also is like credit cards aren't bad. We need to have credit. You can't buy things without credit. It's all about responsibility and knowing how to handle it responsibly before they make, you want them to make the mistake at home you know, with their $5 a week right. than you do with a $15,000 shopping spree to Best Buy. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think another thing that gets really hard with teaching kids about life and money is that we're not consistent. Right. And that, that's without question the hardest thing. So I often tell parents, you know, for me, I don't care whether you do earn my keep or you pay for chores or you don't pay for your chores or, you know, it, it's so personal and that's what's wonderful. There's so many options. But what I do care about and what I've learned through all of this is even if you need to take a break occasionally, we're actually in the middle of one right now. My family was in town, too many birthday parties. We had to take like a couple weeks just <laughs> to right. focus. Yeah. But as long as you jump back into it and it is a constant in your kids' lives, over the course of time, they'll get it. You don't have to teach them everything at once, as opposed to my parents who rock, love them to pieces, but I got the budget talk when I graduated and got my first job and was on my own, and this is how you set up a budget, and this is what you do. That was my first yeah. time doing it. That's what we don't want for our children. We don't want that shock. Surprise! Welcome Hello. to the big world. <laughs> and who is FICA? That's right. <laughs> you know, the- Who's this FICA person that keeps exactly. creating problems for me? Exactly. <laughs> oh, my heavens. This is great. Now, Elisa, is there any way you can hang on through one more break? I'd be happy to. We'd love to have you come back. When we come back, we're going to play another uh, you know, little story by one of our producers. We asked him to kind of take the other side of the, the, the argument. Like, what if it's just easier to not do all of this? So maybe just have you respond to that. We're talking to Elisa Weinstein, uh, the creator of EarnMyKeep.com. We'll be back with her and more ideas on how to, you know, Pay your kids without, you know, just giving it away. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with the latest news and research in pivotal societal issues. BYU's Wheatley Forum presents the research of leading scholars and experts in current social issues and events. 
Learn, explore, and discuss the world around us with The Wheatley Forum, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Turkey's president is warning the rest of the world that the worst-case scenario is unfolding in neighboring Syria as the Turks continued shelling Syrian regime targets for a sixth day after a Syrian shell flew over the border. Officials in Turkey have sworn to do whatever is necessary to protect their people from the expanding Syrian civil war. The Turkish president is urging Western powers to take more action to end the conflict soon, as he says a transition will take place sooner or later, removing Bashar Assad from power. He also said that if action is not taken, Syria will just become a bigger wreck with further bloodshed. A new report from officials in the House of Representatives warns that U.S. telecommunication companies should not be doing business with Chinese tech vendors. The warning came as part of an investigation seeking to understand if the Chinese government could have influence over some of the vendors providing products to U.S. markets. The unclassified version of the report showed no hard evidence that any form of cyber espionage was being conducted and, from Chinese critics' perspectives, is based mainly on rumors and assumptions. U.S. officials, however, feel that protecting U.S. cybersecurity is more important than a more open trade relationship with China. On the eve of a visit from German Chancellor Angela Merkel, Greek protesters hoisted signs and gathered in numbers close to 8,000 to tell her she is not welcome in Greece. Merkel has been behind a a push for heavy-hitting austerity measures in an attempt to help get the struggling Greek economy out of its massive debt crisis. Many Greeks, Greeks now blame Merkel for the struggles of their country, as despite monetary assistance, conditions have remained largely stagnant for citizens. One Athens saleswoman says that the protesters want Merkel to leave Greece alone because her measures only bring more poverty. U.S. Coast Guard missions may be reduced due to outdated and failing equipment and resources. The cash-strapped fleet is one of the oldest and most outdated in the world with one of the most constant obligations for ongoing missions. A $29 billion replacement program is in place, but the work is years behind schedule, leaving the Coast Guard with few options. If missions are scaled back, more drugs and illegal immigrants are likely to get into the U.S., but asking for more federal money is not on the table either in a time where Washington is constantly looking at ways to cut federal programs and scale back to reduce deficit spending. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, kids. All you parents out there just throwing money at your kids. Just making them become greedy little gimme kids just always asking for gimme, gimme. Welcome back to the show. Just trying to set up the mood here. We are talking to an expert, uh, Elisa Weinstein, um, about the importance of, um, you know, teaching your children the proper way. Now, one of our producers 
Bryce Tobin, who does a little rant for us every day. We ask him to just kind of, you know, play the devil's advocate a little bit. And uh, today he's done it as well. Now, he says our kids don't have it so hard, do they? Well, no, they really don't. Uh, Are we teaching them in the best way? This is one reason we have on Elisa. Well, Bryce has some thoughts about how we should probably be uh, teaching our children about money. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is the Bryce is Right. So these kids don't want to work, huh? And for some reason, whether it be responsibility or a sort of parental instinct, you feel that it is your duty to teach them just how valuable the rewards of a job well done can feel. Well, get ready, because you're missing the awful middle portion of that whole ordeal. So instead of a generic setup, I'll give you one from my past and you can apply it where it works best. In my world, the worst Saturday morning chore was weeding. And I always got stuck with that job because I was the smallest and therefore had the smallest hands in the family for 14 years. But joke's on them because now I'm the biggest. Saturday started with a fight to get me out of bed. Then once I was up, it was time to lay down as many legitimate excuses as I could to delay the start of chores. I need to go to the bathroom. I gotta get some breakfast. I can't find my shoes, which was probably my most bogus excuse. I knew exactly where they were. They were right where I hid them last night so I could set up this excuse. Laziness takes a surprising amount of work. Then, as the morning drags itself on, my excuses are less legitimate and less potent and they don't really hold up. So then I gotta go out and work. Once I'm out there, it's ADHD hour. I would often have very introspective questions about the universe and this fleeting thing that we call life, and I would interrupt people while looking for answers. Now, no one really answered my questions, but I definitely interrupted someone trying to get something done. Or my imagination would go nuts. That stick may look nothing like a sword, but that's not going to stop me from using it like one. So then I get carried away, and someone has to stop what they're doing to come over, take Excalibur away from me, dash my hopes and dreams against the walls of sadness and reality, and get me back on task. This all went on until I learned the worst possible thing. While it is true that it's better to do a task correctly the first time, there's another side to this truth. If you do a bad enough job, not only will someone else finish the job, do it enough, and they will quit asking you to do that job. For example, when you pick weeds, you gotta get the roots and everything, right? Yeah, well, it only takes about 15 minutes to yank all the tops off and call it a day. Okay, you may have to endure a lecture, but you've made it apparent you don't know what you're doing, and someone else will have to get those roots. There is no substitute for a useful incompetence. So how could this have been handled better? Easy. Quit getting on my case and do it yourself. Kids are awful at working. They do a terrible job every time. Even if they don't put up a fight, you end up having more work to do just by giving them work to do. Look, you can spend all Saturday trying to teach them some important archetypal lesson, but they are just focused on how not to work at all. But it's up to you to teach them this, right? Well, yeah, you're one possible source, but life can be just as good or better. Is your kid too lazy to mess with that check engine light? Well, when they're stranded in the middle of nowhere in the winter, surrounded by wolves, bears, and feral elk, they have just been granted a priceless education, one they may not possibly or even have time to forget. You're going to do just as much work no matter which path you take. One is just a little less frustrating. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Excellent. That is from our resident. Um, he, we used to joke that Bryce was our teenager on the show just because he looks so young and handsome. But uh, it's really Bryce is the devil's advocate. Elisa Weinstein is joining us from EarnMyKeep.com. She has written a book, the author of Earn It, Learn It, Teach Your Children the Value of Money, Work, and Time Well Spent. Elisa, what do you, what's your take? Well, okay, first of all, he's very funny. He's cute as can <laughs> be, too. So cute Bryce as a book. Bryce is right. Bryce is I right. Love, yeah. <laughs> First of all, um, and I actually, that was awesome because that's actually one of the things I talk to parents a lot about chores and about um, 
teaching kids that work isn't fun. And the chores need to be done. I think that we go into them <laughs> yeah. telling kids chores are lame and they're boring and, and, you know, we don't talk about how great chores are. We're a part of a family. You need to learn these basic skills. Look at how great the garden looks when you've done all the weeding. So yeah. chores get such a bad rap and they're such a great thing. Um, also, I kind of feel bad for him because they probably should have given him a variety of things rather than weeding every week. Totally but, you agree. Know, Totally. Um, But the other thing is just in general, when we pay children for doing chores, I feel that you're paying them, you're teaching them to make money for doing something that they don't really want to do, that work is not fulfilling, work is not exciting. In and of itself, work's not fulfilling. Yeah. Exactly. So that's... And I mean, yeah, he was really funny. He's good. Awesome. And and he really, he obviously learned. But it seems like you, the universal evil are, are weeds. Yeah, apparently so. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that kind of ruined my life. It ruined Bryce's life. Yeah. I, I still funny. won't, I still won't grab weeds with my bare hands. I, Bryce I now has a complex. It's funny. So you're scarred for life from that. <laughs> Unfortunately. Maybe that's why I don't like to make my bed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. did you have weeds in your bed? I wouldn't we like my bed not. either. That, that was my thing. That was the making you, of the yeah. bed. Was See, the we thing. never made our bed. Yeah, well, I really didn't do a very good job of it. Does your, I wanted my mother. Yeah. Does your husband make the bed? No. Rude. Which means it's not made. <laughs> Which means, you know what? Well, that's what your kids are for. You need to have, you need to have one, of your, one of the things on your website to be a housekeeper. Trust me, that, that does come up. People ask me gardening is the yes. first one they ask. Um, and then housekeeper. And you know what? You're not going to get paid to make your own bed, but you could grow up and get paid to make somebody else's, so you need to learn how to do it. I think That's it's, my I, answer. I love your approach. I really do, because you're, you're taking it above and beyond. And like what Bryce was saying, so it really may not be about getting the job done right or well. In your case, it's just more about teaching them the value of work. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking about a variety of projects that were not done well right. by professional standards, standards. but by, by a that particular yes, but yeah. by that particular child's standards, you're talking like the furrowed brow and the tongue sticking out mm-hmm. and the like totally intense like I'm going to finish this and I'm going to do it right. Like it's it is incredible when you when you allow a child, you know, kid, you know, 4 to 12 years old, the opportunity to act like an adult and, and reach that bar, mm-hmm. you'd be shocked at their effort of, of what they will do to reach it. I love it's it. And cool. you've tied them. I love it. I see like every one of these are an opportunity to tie them kind of into reality. <laughs> that there's, yeah. the, and after you know you've done 30 or 40 of them over their lifetime, they're kind of tied to reality and they understand that work is something that you just you do and you find the joy somewhere in there and you know, you'll get compensated. Exactly. And if you don't, you yeah. at least learn to work. I mean, that's one of the funniest things I keep trying to teach interns and some of the people that come around this, the studio and stuff is volunteer. Like literally every job I've ever had, I got because I did it for free. And um, I've just found, if you know, the, the work itself can teach you enough to go actually eventually make good money doing it. Definitely. Give me, um, as we kind of are wrapping this up, what... What else? What else have you learned about us as parents? I mean, I like I really think you're right on about us not being consistent enough. I think the biggest problem to trying to keep a child engaged in something like this is that we are so not disciplined as parents. 
We don't no. even know. I, I, I mean, the, one of the reasons why our tooth fairy pays $5 a tooth <laughs> is because we can't even remember to make change before we get home. Uh, we would, I mean, anyway, I've heard of tooth fairies stealing money from kids' banks just to pay off the kids. Does that not yeah, sound like a debt crisis to you? That, that's, a, that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> that we could have. But, you know, I think that um, finding a way to make it easy and fun is the first, you know, getting out of the mindset that I have to teach my kids about money, and this is a right. very serious subject. And once you get past that, and once you allow yourself to make mistakes and grow with your kids, I think the pressure comes off. Yeah. And it becomes something that you're actually looking forward to. I mean, it truly is a gift. It is the greatest gift. You can give your kids the ability to function like a productive member of society. Right. So, you know, that, that's, it, to me, it feels like every time we do something like this together, it feels like a present. You know, and I'm not saying it's easy to fit it in or to remember to have the money for payday. There's awesome, awesome online um, family banks that function like a real bank, hmm. but they don't use real money. So if you Google it... Um, really? You can, yeah. Give like, us a name allow, on one. Um, well, two that I really, really like. One is you can find at famzoo.com, and another one is moneytrail.net. Um, those are two. I happen to know the, the founders of those well, and they're wonderful people, answer all sorts of questions. And it's the kind of thing where you, it acts like a real bank. You know, you track the amount of money. You know, your child tracks, like, the amount of money that they have and they don't have, and when they take it out, and, and when you, you can have a list of what their chores are or their oh, careers, great. whatever you do. Yeah. And it makes it much easier than having to find that cash. But I will say that for little children or even older kids that are just starting out, starting with hard cash is really important because first they need to grasp this is a $5 bill, this yeah. is a dollar bill, you know, and, and making that connection. But once they have that down, those virtual banks will save a lot of headaches and they're fun. And again, it's all a real world experience because eventually, you know, we're all banking online. They need to learn how to bank yeah. online. They don't then have virtual creditors that are calling to bill collect, do they? No, they don't. But I'm working on a virtual <laughs> credit card for my children. Oh, I my love daughter it. Really wants, yeah, she really wants a credit card. And so I told her I'm going to make her one. We're going to make it out of glitter and cardboard. <laughs> and then I'm going to get her a statement once a month and she's going to see how what happens if she doesn't pay it. Love that. You know, Bryce has one that has glitter on it too. And that he glitter does. gets everywhere. That glitter gets every. It gums up every credit card machine you've ever seen. Well, awesome. uh, as we wrap this up, Elisa, what's the one thing? We always kind of like to end on the one thing that makes all the difference. If we could just have everyone leave listening and knowing one thing from Elisa Weinstein, what is it? Oh, I'm debating between have fun and prioritize it. Love it. Can I say them both? Prioritize yep, it by it. having fun. Have fun while you prioritize. These are your that. kids. This this should be fun anyway, kids. right? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really some of the most fun that we have together. I think I think you're right on. And and honestly, I think you've added a lot to it. So everybody, go check out Elisa's website at earnmykeep.com. If you're a grandparent out there, send your grandkids and your and your children to go check it out. Also, you can read her book. Uh, she's the author, again, of Earn It, Learn It, Teach Your Children the Value of Money, Work, and Time Well Spent. Elisa Weinstein, thank you so much. We're going to have you back. We're going to have to have you back to help us get through Christmas so that these kids don't just keep wanting everything they see. Oh, I got all sorts of stuff for that conversation, cool. too. <laughs> for sure. We'll have you back, Elisa. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You bet. Take care. And uh, we're going to be back. We're going to take a break, come back, wrap up the show. 
uh, we've got a little test for you. Where, what did the famous stars and, and actors, musicians, what did they do as, the, as their first job? You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. There's a new helping hand on board the International Space Station these days. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Satellite servicing missions have long been a difficult feat for NASA astronauts. The missions require that humans rendezvous with orbiting satellites and other instruments, such as the Hubble Space Telescope, and perform complicated and intricate tasks with their own hands. That is, until the advent of advanced, highly functional robots. Enter Dexter a 12-foot-tall, multi-armed robotic handyman built by the Canadian Space Agency. Dexter joins the intrepid human explorers who work to achieve humanity's goals in space, as well as NASA's dexterous humanoid robot and permanent space station resident, Robonaut 2. In March 2012, Dexter successfully completed a robotic refueling mission, or RRM, for NASA on board the International Space Station, exhibiting dexterity far beyond that of human hands. During the mission, Dexter accomplished the most intricate work ever performed by a robot in space. The robot helped astronauts successfully retrieve and inspect elements of orbital instruments, releasing launch locks and adapters, and cutting extremely thin lock wire. This represents Dexter's first participation in a research and development project. More on-orbit exercises and tests are scheduled for throughout the summer of 2012. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. For regular updates on BYU Radio programming, sports, and other behind-the-scenes news, follow BYU Radio on Twitter. Just search for BYU Radio, hit follow, and enjoy our tweets on news, live updates on shows, and much more. Talk about good. Okay, kiddos, we're going to wrap up the show today, and uh, we've been talking about money, kids, allowance, how you teach your kids the importance of work. We've had on our expert, Elisa Weinstein, uh, from her website, which is earnmykeep.com. Seriously suggest you go check that out. But as we wrap it up, uh, you know, we've all had different jobs. I had, I've had, i had my jobs. I don't want to talk about it, making... You know, iPhones. Um, anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you, Matt? Uh, but we, we do know that a lot of famous people had some pretty interesting jobs as well. So our very own Rob Sanders has put together our game show of the day. Can you guess what famous person had this menial job? Or the other way around. I'll give you the famous person and then okay. you guess the menial job. Be easy. You ready? Yes. First person. He's the guy behind Dell Computers, Mr. Michael Dell. What do you think his Michael Dell's menial first job was job. at age 12? He was a corn husker. No! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Rude. 
<laughs> what do you think, BT? Uh, if he was 12, I'm going to call it child labor laws or something, but yeah. he was a milk delivery boy. No. How old is he? He was 12 at the time. Well, I don't know how old now? He was okay. He's, yeah. he's not now. exactly ancient. Because he might have been a, you know, a civil war. Um, <laughs> he's not that Participant? Old. Guessing took too long. You ran out of music there. <laughs> Janitorial position. No, he worked for a uh, Chinese restaurant oh. washing dishes. And he kind of was, he was so good at it, they kind of made him a quasi-maitre d'. Really? And uh-huh. at age 13, he was doing such a good job, he was poached by the uh, Mexican restaurant down the street. Wow. Oh. <laughs> see, but when you've got potential, everyone can see it in you. Okay, give me more. These are easy. I'm going to start getting them now. Okay, next uh-huh. one. Now I know what we're doing. The man behind Microsoft, Bill Gates. Mr. Bill Gates. He wrote code. No. He was. He was writing code but at the age of four. Nope. <laughs> in his crib. I'm going to go with he was a supermarket no. cashier. <laughs> Chimney sweep. No. <laughs> Chimney sweep. He, he actually had a pretty cool job. He, apparently, when he was 18 years old, he went to Congress and he was a page. Oh, oh my friend did Congressional that. page. I've heard oh. about those so, guys. Okay, so that wasn't particularly menial. I okay, you, you that's interesting. A, end up with a pretty cool job. Hmm. Okay, you ready for, ready for the next one? Technically a competitor to us, Mr. Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> I don't really find him to be a big competitor. Uh, Rush Limbaugh. At age 13, he used to wash cars. Close, but no. Steal oh, cars. Close. Used oh, to okay. wa- not that terrible. <laughs> yeah. He used to wash windows. No. No. He used to wash babies. No. <laughs> No idea. A baby wash. It no almost sounds like somebody be like, back in my day, I used to shine shoes. Oh. 50 cents a pair. Yeah, they used to do that back then. And he bragged that he made, uh, took him all summer, but he made $50 out of that. Wow. wow. High Kay. roller. Famous actor in, I, I'm sure he's Ghostbusters. I was going to say that uh, larger than life elephant movie was the only one that's come out of mind. Mr. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Okay. This will be easy. He's but, crazy. And this was two years after graduating college. He had this job, by oh, the way. Oh, wow. So it was kind of uh, later in life for him. It's in Chicago. Hmm. He was a caddy. No. Uh, yeah. A he, personal assistant that grabbed coffee for everyone. No. No, this is easy. He used to kill gophers no. on a golf course. <laughs> he I've, stood seen, outside no, I've seen the movie. <laughs> he has. I've seen the movie. <laughs> he stood outside the grocery store and sold chestnuts. Wow. <laughs> Get your chestnuts here. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, that's weird. After college. Hmm. He hasn't been in a movie since RV. Mr. Robin Williams. Oh, Robin oh, Williams. Yeah. Unless he's been in a movie since our Robin RV, Williams was a cross-dresser. No. Okay. <laughs> Doubtfire. That was Doubtfire. <laughs> Love that movie. Uh, um, Sorry, what? No way. Oh, we'd guess. Um, yeah. A nanny. I think. Nope. Oh. There was no real-life Mrs. Doubtfire. Gosh dang it. I don't know. You stumped us. He moved to New York City and stood outside the Museum of Modern Art acting as a street mime. Oh, Whoa. wow. He'd be good at that. Can you imagine? Though? He always jokes. Okay, that makes sense. Because he makes jokes about mimes. 
There it is. There's <laughs> and the source. He was. <laughs> what would you call a male fashionista, by the way? Because I need that. Fashionisto. A mansionisto. Okay. Fashionisto. Tommy Hilfiger. Oh, yes. Oh. Before he was selling pants in famous stores everywhere, he, what did he do? He used to. Um, a dock worker. No. He worked security at JCPenney. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. No. <laughs> He's not big enough to do security. Um, he was uh, who's a cop. How about that? He was a cop. Before Tommy Hilfiger sold pants in stores for yeah. a lot of money, he sold pants from the trunk of his car. Oh, boy. Okay, I have a rule. Whoa. You never buy your pants out of the back of someone's car. <laughs> at least not anymore. Unless you can try them on. Do not. Buy those pants. It was back in the past. It was a different time. Then. That is just scary. How funny. These just keep coming. From one of the highest rated television shows of all time, Seinfeld, mm. Mr. Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld. What did Seinfeld. he do back in the day? And I think this has got to be fake. I mean, I, I think he probably just wrote it in his bio to be funny, but I think no. According it's, to his bio. It's in his show. It's got to be in his show. Bartender. He was nope. a soup. Nazi. No. <laughs> Professional annoying person. No. Oh, sorry. Did I give that away? Pepsi. Pepsi. Is that? No, there was that Saturday Night Live. Mr. Jerry Seinfeld sold light bulbs over the telephone. So annoying. Whoa. Would you like a light bulb? <laughs> no. You wouldn't? Okay. That's Thanks. Nice. <laughs> oh, my What gosh. a job. And you guys thought this was hard? Oh, my God. You think working for me is hard? <laughs> Slave driver. Indentured servitude. From the 80s power rock band Van Halen, Mr. David Lee Roth. Ah, David Lee. He was... He sang at bar mitzvahs. No. (laughs) Didn't involve singing, as far as I know. Uh, He He, was a professional leather pants model. No. (laughs) He danced at bar mitzvahs. No. (laughs) He was an orderly for the hospital changing bedpans and fluffing pillows. Wow. Bedpans. Oh, that was very kind of him, though. Yeah, it doesn't fit with your image of no. David Lee Roth. He also wore leather while he did it. He probably did. And that <laughs> squeaking leather sound, you could always tell it was David Lee coming. Oh, dang it. I'm trying to make the Oh, you're trying to make the leather. Yeah. Yeah, all we hear is your earrings. Oh. Yeah, those aren't earrings. Those earrings are huge, by the way. <laughs> I don't want to point them out, but they're pointing. Your earrings have arrows. Yeah. And they're always pointing to your shoulders. What's up with that? I have good shoulders. Good. I want to point them out. Good arrow pointed. Okay, Robbie. <laughs> a pop star who thought she was so famous she only needed one name. Ms. Oprah. Oh, Madonna. Oh, Madonna. I, I guessed it, yes. Okay, Shortly Madonna. Shortly after she moved Madonna to New, was a babysitter. She moved to sure. New York City, so it's when she's a little bit a little bit She older. was a tattooist babysitter. No. Um, she made sandwiches. Close, but no. Oh. I, I'm feeling that I actually know what she did. Was it like working in a store that sold clothes? Mm, closer with the sandwiches. She worked for Dunkin' Donuts selling donuts, but she got fired because she kept squishing the donut and the jelly would fall out. Oh, no, Rob, that's <laughs> so she's got mad. So she was bad at selling donuts. <laughs> hey, so that go, that actually takes us, segues us nicely into one of Rob's favorite jobs of all time, making the donuts. Tell us about that, Rob. Dark, dark days. <laughs> donuts. Make the donuts. Pound of lard? When, uh, and I'm, I'm honest. Anybody who sees a donut get made will never eat one ever again. Rob, it's not sausage. But what about I, like Krispy well, Kreme? I've heard that of sausage, too. I've, I haven't seen that. But you Nasty. just see how these fat cubes come in that are about, uh, you know, 12 by 12 by 12 cubed, you know. 
and uh, you know, feet or inches, because that's a big difference. <laughs> inches, inches, one Seems foot, like one foot, a square foot, basically. And you drop this thing; it all melts down, and then it disappears. And by the end of the day, the tank's empty again. You didn't really make that many donuts. You go, holy smokes! Where did all that lard go? How much did that absorb? And, and in that large of quantity. Shortening oil does that doesn't think, smell good. Like I think a nice people were stealing lard. But, they were stealing it. But what about like Krispy Kreme? They make the donuts right in front of you. Yeah. <sighs> no, yeah. you see the donuts fried in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. you don't see the yeah, guy. Unfortunately, when, once you get speed. that smell, you know, and anybody who's worked around shortening knows what that smell is, and you bite into a Krispy Kreme, you can you can taste it. Just ruins it. So uh, don't watch how the donuts are made. Okay, then as we wrap up, everybody's got to tell me your favorite job growing up, high school job or earlier if you were a child worker. Are we talking ironic favorite or favorite favorite? Just ironic favorite. I worked it out back for three days. Boy, and then they sent you out back. What? <laughs> three days. Three whole days. You could only keep your job at Outback for three days. <laughs> no, I was I was quite finished with three days. Got the whole experience. I cannot take another day at Outback. Oh my oh word. Gosh. Okay, that's weird. We don't someday we'll hear the story behind that. What's yours, Madison? Um my first real job was a lifeguard and I hated it because you just have to yell at people. Well, that's when you kept trying to do math to math on people that weren't even dying. Oh, you caught me. Which I felt was awkward. <laughs> Sky, what was your favorite? Um, I taught guitar lessons. That was really fun. You taught them? Yeah, I taught, that was your I job. taught them. That wrong was your answer. Job. Your favorite job is that one right there. Yeah, yeah wrong. Yeah, but this was high school. I thought this was high school. <laughs> I thought you were in high school. And for, oh. me, it was getting, <laughs> for me, it was getting paid $9 an hour to sit in a computer lab and make sure none of the other students who came in this community college uh, computer lab ate pizza in there. Just wow. keep the food and drink out. Nine wow. bucks an hour. See, you know what? It's so good. Life was nice before the recession. I'm glad. Exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you've all grown up. You're the best. Thanks for listening. Keep working here, you guys, because we can eventually pull you out of these holes that you've all dug yourself into. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow with more ideas, more tools to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives. Right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. It's hard to know what the most talk-worthy things and events of the world are. And that's why Kim Power Stilson and her guests are here to provide you with stimulating and informative discussion on the most talk-worthy stories of today. Join Kim and her guests for Talk Worthy, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney spoke harshly against President Obama's handling of foreign affairs today at a campaign rally at the Virginia Military Institute. Focusing mainly on events in the Middle East, Romney said that the U.S. under President Obama has not taken a major role in shaping how events that could threaten U.S. interests play out. Romney cautioned that too often U.S. allies have been waiting for too long to see how the U.S. would react to issues on the world stage. He also warned that hope is not a strategy. The president's campaign team reacted to the speech by saying that Romney has still not laid out any clear plans of how a Romney presidency would benefit the U.S. more than President Obama's policies have.
With a confident Romney rising in the polls, all eyes are turning to Vice President Joe Biden to produce a stunning performance in Thursday's coming vice presidential debate that could help restore some of the Obama campaign's momentum. In recent months, though, a string of political gaffes have helped to label the VP as a potential liability for the president's re-election effort. But Biden did serve in the Senate for over 25 years and is one of the White House's most passionate defenders of the working class. One spokesperson for the Obama campaign says that Biden is going to have to be very aggressive in undercutting the Republicans' arguments and work hard to control the debate. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Ayers on the Road 